This is episode 15 of Rev Thoughts, snackable conversations between Tim Thompson and myself, Joel Pilger. Our topic today is the interest to intent chasm. Here's what I'm kind of thinking about. You know, there, I guess like the, the transition we're kind of experiencing now post-COVID, um, I feel like people have survived through some of the tough terrain. They got their cash infusion. In reality, like they, they got some time to work some stuff out. Um, which right. is exciting for some people. Right. But specifically what I'm hearing now, and I think um, really fits in well with some of the stuff that you do um, in your saleskeeping model, is that I, I really feel like people need to know now what it means to build trust with their client mm-hmm. and really like leverage their expertise. In this current situation, those are two things that really are going to create the transitions people are looking for in order to make themselves secure in this post-COVID um, economy. And, um, and those two items, uh, building trusts and leveraging our expertise, um, really are like, you know, how often do you process that, Joel? I feel like you're doing it all day long every day, but still people don't know what, the, what those mean. So, um, so think of it like this. I, I'm, you're talking to somebody and they're saying, okay, Joel, I was a $2 million company. Um, a third of my clients disappeared. Now I'm looking at maybe a million to a million and a half dollars. Um, where am I going to find my new clients? Um, where would you want them to start? Mm. Well, I think I would first start with, I'm sorry. Um, I know how that feels <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, empathize a bit. Um, but it, so first I would just agree with you. I think there is a certain amount of like everyone got knocked sideways or knocked down. And they've gotten up, they're dusting themselves off and they're saying, okay, I'm ready to move forward. I've got my feet back under me. I'm ready to move forward. I think the, the, the challenge, of course, is as you and I know, every owner always says, yes, I have a sales problem, right? No matter if you're 1 million, 20 million, 120 million, every owner has a sales problem. What's really behind that? I think it's that we all have this nagging sense that, you know, gosh, I want opportunity at my, in my business to always exceed my capacity. Meaning I don't want to be in this feast or famine, always having to scrape and fight and beg for the next project. And there's this nagging sense of, well, if I could just get enough opportunity I would be able to, one, either relax and sleep a little better at night for sure. Um, but <clears throat> the other benefit is, you know, we might be able to get to a place where we, we have the ability to say no, which means we start to become choosy. We start to, to produce the kind of creative we aspire to create. And we start to work with what we'll call healthier, more reasonable budgets. That's an yeah, so, that's a dream, right? Um, yeah, let me interrupt you right there because... I, you, you know, I feel like one thing you just hit on is that people believe it's the need for a new opportunity, which obviously if you're losing clients, you need to go find new faces to talk to. Um, but I often feel like we've seen people generate a lot of leads, but actually not convert them. Um, and I think that people are still confused on the difference of, and the need for generating leads um, as well as then converting those leads into projects um, as two different steps. Uh, instead yep. of thinking, I, I have to go find a lead and turn that lead into a project to, immediately. Um, it doesn't work that, 
that easily. You have to, there are many steps between the, those two, um, the beginning and the end of that cycle. Well, here's what we know. We talk about this thing called the creative firm sales cycle. And for review, for anyone who is not familiar with the concept, because you and I talk about this a lot, is all clients are in this process, moving from stage to stage to stage. They're moving from unaware to aware to interest to intent, and then ultimately to award. And that process, I think every owner knows, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how clients become clients. Uh, they move from these, these activities we call marketing, where there's leads, and then they shift into sales, where they become clients. And this is, of course, what drives a business forward, is solving those problems and cashing those checks and, and all the rest. The challenge is, and here's what I've seen over the years, is there's this riddle that somewhere in that cycle, there's a chasm. And I call this the chasm from interest to intent. Because we can talk about all of the marketing things, right, that we do, like we build websites and we uh, do social media and we create sizzle reels and things like this. And we can actually go out and reach out to a bunch of leads and people will become aware. And they might even say, wow, that's, it's, I'm interested. You guys seem really great. But then moving that prospect to this place of, I have intent, meaning I have a project, I have a need, and you're the firm to solve that for me. That is a chasm. And you, Tim, you've seen this, right? Where a lot of our clients will have a sales pipeline where there's literally dozens or, or even hundreds of deals that are stuck in that space. So let me, let me have you categorize those three, those three chasms. Um, Cause I think people, um, but they're not all equal. Um, let's put the categories of the three chasms, like, you know, which which of the chasms is Grand Canyon size chasm? <laughs> right. Which is a which is the evil Knievel can jump it with a motorcycle uh, size chasm, and which is the one of like me on my huffy bicycle on my on the little wooden ramp I put in front of my house size chasm? So which is like the 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 beginning or the easiest of of those three? Uh, which is the one that's kind of in the middle, and which is the most difficult of those three? Well, I'm I'm going to say the easiest is that first one. To move from somebody from unaware to aware can be as simple as running an ad or sponsoring an event at a trade show or a conference and they see your logo and they say, oh, okay, they're aware, you, you exist. Like, okay, your huffy, little huffy bike made it over the, the jump. And that's because the things to make people from unaware aware are easily accessible to us. We already have the email systems in place. We already have social media sites. We already have a website. You can easily buy a Facebook ad. The, the steps or the, the tools to get there, they're readily available. Anyone can do it. You know, there's a webinar somewhere already out there teaching you that part. Yeah, and maybe we should even use the term platforms, right? Like those, those prospects are already participating in those platforms. They're already on Facebook. They're already going to the conference. So they, they've already invested. Their, their attention is already being uh, spent on some of those platforms. So you're just yeah. leveraging Facebook or Promax or whoever in order to generate awareness. And there you go. But the next step, the next journey from awareness to interest, or sorry, from, uh, from aware to in interest 
is tougher, but I'll just submit. I, I don't think it's so, actually all that hard. That's the Evo Knievel one. Yes. The Evo Knievel one is so interest. I'm sorry, aware to interested. Yes. So it's uh, and not just getting them to know your name, read your website, or, or appreciate a project you did. That's aware, right? Oh, I love that spot you did. For the interest would be like, I want to, I want to actually do a job with you. No. Um, or no, interest. Talk. Interest is more like, hey, I see you. You're cool. I like, I like what I see. I'm interested. But here's the thing. The reason it's not a big, it's not the Grand Canyon. It's just Evil Knievel <laughs> taking his motorcycle from, you know, reaching the other side is I'll say this. It's not actually that difficult. If you run a creative studio, if you run a production company, let's face it, you're not selling widgets. <laughs> I mean, you're selling beautiful design or motion um, experiences. These things are very visual and extremely uh, exciting and compelling. So if you send a cold email to somebody at XYZ Corporation whose daily existence is in a dim cubicle and they get an email in their inbox that says, hey, I'm Joel from XYZ Creative Studios. Do you want to connect? Do you want to meet? Do you want to talk? Odds are good that that person is going to say, wow, somebody from LA or New York or wherever reached out to me and look how cool they are and look how amazing they are. You're going to get a response, a high response rate called, hey, yes, I'm glad we met. I'd love to chat. This is where I feel like business owners get trapped also because their salesperson or their rep will get that first call of interest. Bingo. And the salesperson says, oh, I'm, they're, you know, like they're already landed. I already have a project. You know, this is very easy from this point to getting the project. And the salesperson almost oversells that interest, imagining that the project's already in the door. Um, all we have to do is, you know, very basic steps. And you're going to say now, actually, the, the job from interest to intent, that's the Grand Canyon size. There's a yeah. lot of uh, work to happen in that. Yeah, this cycle. is the real chasm. And, and I'll be honest here, Tim. I've, you, know, you and I have been working on this riddle for many years. And there's a traditional answer called, well, just scale up your effort. So if you've got a lot of right. people that are interested, the answer is just reach out to 10 times or 100 times more people and you'll get someone who actually has intent. And that's where we have these 1% conversions. But hey, we got a $100,000 project. It's worth it. The challenge yeah, is... I, right. I almost feel like we've given that advice to others too, at least early on. I'll say easily, you know, five, six years ago, I was telling people, well, if your winning rate is one in 10, then you need 10 times more people in that first column. Um, instead of what we now know is like the idea of perfecting that more or working on it more so that so you can convert people more easily or qualify those leads sooner right and not put effort into 10 times more effort into winning each project um maybe we can get down to four times five times yeah effort. and that's i'm i'm right there with you and, and I, this is somewhat of a confession because i'm with you but you and i also knew deep down inside there's something more here we're just not seeing it necessarily play out but what, what tends to happen is, and, and I've seen this happen specifically, I'm thinking of one example in my brain, I'll, I'll keep the names uh, private to protect the innocent, but <laughs> I remember one internal salesperson at a motion design firm 
and she had upwards of a hundred deals in pipe drive, you know, in her sales pipeline. And there was, I don't know, $10 million worth of business there. And when I asked her, okay, great. That's, that's great. Good job. You've got a hundred deals and we're nurturing these and we're going to close these. But I asked her, how many of these leads that we've generated over the past year have actually gone through this system and converted? And she started to tell me all kinds of stories like you just said, oh, well, these guys are talking about this and I've got this other thing going on. And I said, no, no, I just need a number. And she said, zero. And I had this moment when I realized, wow, we're paying this person $100,000 a year to hover over pipe drive and accomplish nothing. And all of these deals, if I'm being really honest, were just stuck. They expressed interest. They didn't have intent. They were stuck in that chasm. And for years, I've been, I've been, I go back to that story and just think of the frustration I had at that time because I thought there's got to be something better that we're missing to solve this riddle. Yeah, and, and that company wasted a whole year. It was a waste for everybody. And it was that salesperson overselling at the beginning part of it. Uh, let's just back up one quick second, because I, I think it'd be helpful for people to, to kind of have a definition of the idea of what interest is and what the definition of intent is. Sure. So they can maybe understand why it's Grand Canyon size between the two. Yep. Well, in a nutshell, I'll say this, that interest is somebody that when you reach out to them and you connect, they say, oh, hey, it's nice to meet you. Yes. I'm interested in meeting, talking, connecting, what have you. Like I'm interested in starting some sort of a relationship. Intent by contrast is I have a need that's defined and you might be a fit. Meaning I have an intent to spend money. I'm going to literally invest dollars, money in solving my problem. And that, that chasm obviously is, is really large because as if you're an owner, you've been in this situation where somebody says, yeah, I'm interested. You know, we, we have, you know, maybe we should talk and maybe we could work together. And you hear there, we have a project, you hear intent, but it's actually not there yet. And then you'll have that second conversation, that capabilities presentation, that screening, that estimate, that bid, that proposal, that quote, that pitch. And then it all fizzles and you look back later and you realize, they really never had intent. They were just yanking our chain because we willingly went along with it and we never disqualified them. But now that we look back, hindsight's twenty twenty. we realize what a big waste of time. What's the, what causes the gap? I'm, and I'm uh-huh. just feeding you here because I think you know, <laughs> I think we're on a, uh, between the way this conversation's going, I kind of want you to be able to define what that gap is because I think it's going to play into my, my first question, which is the real work we have to deal with today in this uh, post-COVID economy. Right. Um, but uh, let's just define real quickly. What is what actually is causing the gap? Is it in our presentation as a, as a company? Is it in the client's mind? Is it a mixture of all of it? I'll say this. I think what I've been observing is each of us, this is you, Tim, this is me, and everyone listening has been through this sales cycle, but they didn't notice what was happening. And what happens is there's this moment when you as a studio or as a a production company, 
you're reaching out and having conversation, but the client, the prospect, they still don't really trust you yet. They're skeptical. And then I would also say part two is they don't really understand your positioning, meaning they don't really understand how do you create value for someone like us? How, what is your expertise? I don't really get it. So it's those two things. It's there's uh, an absence of trust and there's an absence of expertise and closing, you know, and I think building that trust and sharing that expertise is what closes that chasm so that we can get over it. So here's a cardinal sin, right? As a business owner, we say this, the work speaks for itself. Oh, I wish it did. Oh my gosh. I, I know, right? Well, you, and you can imagine why people say that because we're a creative company. The evidence is there that they've worked with high-end brands, done some beautiful graphics, have a track record with other clients, right? That's, it's there and it plays Maybe. into it. It's, Maybe. But the idea that it speaks, well, say like it's, it's the only thing you need. It solely speaks and gives all, all the answers. That's, that's like so, the cardinal sin of this thing. Oh no, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that leads to what you and I call the wallpaper positioning, right? We're just going to show a whole bunch of work and let our clients infer how great we are. But the, the challenge is the clients, of course, see that and they say, yeah, but one, how do I know that those clients don't all hate you? And because behind the scenes, it didn't go well. Or number two, even though you've done all this great work for all these other great clients, how do I know you're going to do that for me? Yeah. And then you compound it with the things we learned inside the spark paradox, which we, we've been talking about specifically in the risk category. We have clients currently that are saying, I need to take a risk. I need to do something new. I have to try something out. And I need to take that risk with people I know, already know and trust. Right. So you have to, you have to be trustworthy in order to walk into this risky situation with them because they're, they're taking risks. They're throwing dollars at items that need to get a return for them, especially in a very crunchy content uh, marketing world that we live in right now. People's, the distractions were just compounded 10 times or a hundred times yep. for each individual. Um, so Zoom burnout is burning out people. They're not going to watch YouTube commercials for a while. You know, like it's just not happening the same way. And that trust is now so much more important. Um, what do you think that makes up trust when it comes to that client company relationship? Well, it's an old human instinct that we have, right? That our, our lizard brains make all of these quick conclusions and assumptions. Trust is, it's hard to quantify because I think I would say this, when you meet somebody and you have a distrust of them, it just, it's there. And then if you start to build trust with somebody, it's rapport, it's relationship, it's we have things in common, we have similar values, our whys are aligned. Um, but it's tricky because so many of these messages are sent in a microsecond and the receiver makes a judgment in a microsecond. You know, the book Blink, uh, famous um, Malcolm yeah, Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, really talks about that. And of course, I like Amy Cuddy's work out of Harvard about why you have to build trust first before you start sharing expertise. Um, but that's my thought on, on, on trust. It's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's, and speaking about trust, um, the Malcolm Gladwell's latest book, the talking to strangers, um, he brings up these principles of like the mismatch where that, what works, how people are looking at one another through very 
elementary filters to mm-hmm. determine trust or not. And so mm-hmm. if, if you want to change someone's perception of you, you have to match what they believe is trustworthy, not what you're trying to present, but what the listener or the viewer is accepting as trust. Um, yeah. And that's the listening tour. Be able to sit down and listen to hear what, the, what your recipient is looking for and then to be able to match that instead of being the pusher and hoping it gets through. That's right. It requires a lot of empathy. And when, when, when the economy is hot, you know, the, the value of empathy is not at an all-time high, but when you go through COVID and you're facing the spark paradox, empathy is now this precious, precious uh, thing that you have to be careful to nurture and foster it. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so then obviously the next thing is your favorite thing, which is the positioning part of it, which is really like sharing your expertise. Right. But you know, I find is most business owners, what they don't understand about um, leveraging their expertise and sharing their expertise is that they actually consume other people's expertise all the time in many different ways. And then when asked, hey, put yourself out there as an expert, they often think of one way. And it's uh, and the one thing they think of is the thing they don't want to do. So, for example, I'd say like, "Hey, if you want to show your expertise, you should you should speak at a conference." Um, uh, or I should say, "Share your expertise." And the first thing they'd say back is, "Yeah, but I'm not a speaker." And they only hear what they don't want to do. When you realize there are many ways of sharing your expertise, one of them might be public speaking. But if that's your, not your forte, there are. Uh, almost too many avenues now to kind of show that expertise. Um, what, do you, what do you find is like the most helpful in assessing how to, how to share your expertise? What's the tool there or thought process? Well, I would say I'll, I'm going to put two pieces together here. One of them is I'll simply suffi- uh, or sum it up this way. Put yourself out there. You have to put yourself out there through some sort of a platform because that could be webinars it could be public speaking, it could be writing, blogging, what have you, okay? But there's some sort of a, you've got to have a point of view through which you can push your positioning and your expertise out into the world. But number two, and this is an interesting one, because I think for, in terms of the spark paradox, Tim, this is going to light you up. Yeah. I'm starting to see increasingly the importance of bringing community into that. Because here's what I know. And this was, I was having a conversation with a client of mine and I was walking them through the traditional sales cycle, you know, paradigm. And one of the partners looked at me and said, yeah, no, we don't sell that way. And I thought, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And he said, no, we prefer to do these social, the social selling where we get together with our clients and we have a meal or a drink and we listen to them, we empathize. And then opportunity comes out of that. And then we found that if we bring a few other clients into that or prospects into that conversation, it just grows and happens organically. And I'm like, wait a minute, organically, what do you mean? And as I really studied that and processed that, what I recognized was, you know what happens inside of a community is if you speak to a group of clients that know you and trust you and you invite a new prospect into that community, what happens? That prospect rapidly. And I mean, almost instantly is like a referral 
Because right. what you're seeing is, look at all these amazing smart people that are clearly credible, intelligent, and they're here listening to every word that this owner or person from this creative firm is saying. And they're inviting me to be part of this community. So it's this very compressed method for generating trust and sharing that expertise. And this is part of this whole saleskeeping formula or method that's got me so excited because, I mean, let's be, let's be honest, Tim, this is part of what we do at RevThink and we've done it somewhat organically. We do daily briefings and we do a podcast and we do all these other things. But how often do we hear from someone who says, yes, I showed up at your thing at Promax, right? Your creative entrepreneurs conference event. And when I saw the room full of owners, I felt like I belonged. Okay. There's trust. Yeah. And then I heard other owners talking about the, the issues they were facing and how you guys were helping solve them. And now I see the expertise and all of a sudden in a one hour span of time, we've bridged the chasm. Well, and it's because they can see themselves as part of the tribe. They, they see their future best friends in a room of people that they, that act like them, talk like them, have the same problems as them, and then are finding the same solutions together. Um, it really does make all the difference. It's really the power of conferences. And I think there's going to be a leverage and need to have that connection as we move forward. Um, if I were to hit the K of the spark paradox, which is keeping distance while keeping close or keeping connected, um, the, the, that's the new challenge that you have to be able to do both. You can't, we can't see each other anymore, but how do I stay connected? And that visibility to you and your community is what, that's what's key. If it's just you talking to a microphone into empty space, people can get the monologue and they can understand the monologue and maybe learn a concept from you. Um, but how do they know that you're legitimate and the people that you're talking to and that the, that they relate to the audience that, um, that you have in mind and have intended. Um, all of that is the challenge of that we're facing today. You got it. You got it. And when you say the word need, I want to make sure our listeners are hearing, how do you meet a need? It's called opportunity, meaning you put yourself out there you go figure out how to meet that need and something amazing is going to happen. So that's, that's my encouragement is yes, times are changing, but for those who can recognize that need and step up, it's going to be really exciting. And that might be one of those rev isms where it's uh, you know, work really hard and sometimes get paid for it. Um, and we, what we don't mean is like take bold risks and spend a lot of money and hoping somebody chooses you. We mean listen, understand, study, develop um, a solution to the problems that you have, your clients have, um, your vendors have. Be part of the solution and you'll be connected into that group of people that are processing the same thing. Um, yeah, think about it. Okay, so, I'll, just, I'll just put this little, you know, little bu uh, button on, on that, what you just said. Is now compare what we've been saying here to what I would call a traditional cold email where you say, hi, I'm so-and-so and here's my company and here's a link to our reel. We would love to work with you. And it's this very insular, isolated. And as a prospect, I'm thinking, I don't know who this person is. I don't know whether or not to trust them. I don't know about anything about their expertise. It's very off-putting, but then you compare it and contrast it 
to what you and I have been saying here, put yourself out there, be on a platform, share that expertise, build community. And now, now you're in a completely different world and sales is something that's going to be happening. I think much more naturally and organically. Sure. I mean, the first one is unaware to aware or the huffy bicycle chasm, right? It's just like the homemade ramp, get your bicycle, jump over it. Um, sending out emails to people, you know, might recognize your name or follow a link, hit a landing page, something like that is, is very easy, very easy in comparison to uh, connecting with them, building trust, sharing your understanding, creating um, a position for your expertise, um, being clear with your vision and your proposition, um, and maybe even, you know, uh, have a solution that's ahead of the problems that they have. So you're seen as the expert with that solution. Yeah. Um, and, and, and let's be clear, an expertise is different than a service, right? Like, so something like we're great at editing is not an expertise. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. Very said. So, uh, so to just to back up and maybe just uh, bookend this conversation too. Um, if uh, if I I have a client that's out of the south southeast, um, and they're in a position where they've done something really well for ten years, um, they love what they do, but they recognize they have to get into a more commercial space than the space that they've been into, and I want to give them some specific advice of where to start. They have a reel, they have a website, they have a reputation. All those are good. The vendors or the sorry the clients that they're looking to work with might not recognize their brand right away or recognize how that brand that they currently have fits their need. Right. Um, and then what do, what are the first steps I should ask them to do to start that outreach process um, once they have that solid positioning in place? Well, I would ask that owner and that team to dream a little bit. And I, I would ask them this question. I would say, when your ideal client in this space meets you and gets to know you, trusts you, understands your expertise, and you go do something amazing for them. What happens? Or more, put it this way, what is now possible for that client that was not previously possible? Oh, they could reach this into this kind of an audience. They could convert these types of fans and followers. They could raise all sorts of amazing donations. I mean, whatever that big result is, start thinking in those kinds of terms rather than, oh, I have a service that you just need because obviously I'm a hammer, so therefore everything that looks like a nail, I'm the perfect fit for. Yeah, right. Right? So then once you do that, then I think there's a process. It's somewhat, this is going to sound stereotypical or cliche, but there is a method called lead generation. And there's a way to do that, leveraging technology and tools that are out there. Then there's what you and I shared inside of Revolve. I like this thing called the opportunity matrix where you prioritize your opportunities and then you start doing outreach, but outreach with empathy. You're using personality AI and some other things that are now available to us to start doing outreach in a way and start doing your listening tour. That's, that's the gist of it. There's obviously, we could spend an hour on each one of those those pieces, but that's in, in effect uh, where I would tell your client to start thinking. Yeah, I think that's a great way to kind of just summarize what the work is. And I, I say that, you know, a person from the Southeast is one issue, but um, we know clients that are in Santa Monica, 
you know, right sure. in downtown LA, they're having similar issues because their clients aren't taking meetings like they used to. Uh, there's the old gateways are gone. You don't have to go through someone's assistant anymore to, um, to get a meeting, to get someone on LinkedIn or Zoom. But the problem is, is like Zoom, it became its own gateway now, you know, like it's its own step and trying to get on someone's schedule yep. uh, to make those meetings happen. All of it's very difficult. So uh, I love the idea that they would feel like they already know who you are before they're required to commit time to you. And then making sure that what you're talking about, what your position is and what you're offering is, is relevant to who they are and what they're about. That's, and that requires you doing the homework, uh, getting the information clear in your mind and not wasting anyone's time too soon or too much. Um, all very difficult tasks when we're feeling a little bit desperate uh, as business owners and kind of have a concern for, you know, keeping the doors open, the lights on, um, you know, being very solid in who you are and very confident in who you are, are some of those last pieces you need to, to round this thing out. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited because I feel like for years I've been hovering over this question, trying to solve this riddle. I feel like Tim, you and I often as consultants, the, w- the way we work is almost, we have this insatiable curiosity. Like when we do something and we advise someone and it works, we even ask the question, why did it work? And how could it work better? How could it work differently? Or why didn't it work and all that? And this is just that continuing insatiable curiosity called, what is it in this sales cycle? Where do people get stuck? And refusing to give up until we find the answer. So that I, I have about three, three owners right now that are in this process and applying this method. And I'm, I'm very, very optimistic because I know the pieces and the parts are all starting to come together. Yeah, me too. I'm super excited. And I know it's, um, you know, just another evolution of services and conferences and accelerators and whatever we're going to get into. Um, trying to finesse this problem um, for this moment, for the clients that we know of, for the issues of the day. Um, it really is some of my favorite work that we do. It's so, the innovative work. You know, the one-on-one conversations and the, and the running, running things for people and putting systems and routines in place. Great. Uh, and we love it. And it's very rewarding. But to, to be on the other end of it and solving problems, having conversations and, and building things that uh, help build someone else's future, um, the most rewarding work we can do. I love it. Well, here's my parting thought. I'm thinking back when I was, I had a cohort dinner and Blair Ends was there in London. And I remember he said, he made this point to the group. He said, you know, most clients buy the same way they sell. And his point was that if you're selling to ad agencies, be careful because an ad agency is going to tend to buy the same way they sell, meaning hourly. And I've sort of had this moment when I realized, oh yeah. So here's my encouragement to, to any owner out there is notice how you buy. Notice how you buy from an expert or from a thought leader. What's the process that you go through? And you might find out, oh wow, I didn't think this whole thought leadership thing or this platform thing, that's not for me. And I'm like, really? Because last I checked, it's how you've been sold all kinds of ways. And right. if you just pay attention to the way you naturally are, 
you, you form trust the way that you are, you receive expertise from someone and that ultimately generates some sort of a, a working relationship and you conduct business, just become a student of that and start observing the way that you buy, because guess what? Now that might be in turn, your turn to go out and sell in that same way. Great parting thought there and uh, the opportunity for another huge conversation. For sure. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so.